Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on Gear 30, we've got a very special conversation for you. We are talking with the CEO of ATK Bindings. Now, many of you already know ATK has been making a big splash in the tech bindings game, and this is the first podcast conversation that ATK has ever done. So today, I am talking with ATK's CEO, Davide Indulti, and this conversation was so good that Davide and I went for two hours. And so what we're going to do here is break this actually into a two-parter. This conversation, part one, Davide walks us through what is, I think, a very interesting history of ATK. And along the way, he shares a story that represented a very decisive turning point in the history of the company that he said he has never before shared publicly. Then next week for part two of our conversation, we're really going to dive into the weeds of the current ATK product lineup. And Davide then also shares a sneak peek of some new products that ATK is coming out with. So that is what we have on tap for you this week and next week. And yeah, anybody interested in backcountry ski touring and ski bindings in general, you 100% need to listen to this part one and this part two, or you simply are not going to be up on what is going on in the ski bindings world. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump into ATK's very interesting background with Davide Indulti. Here we go. Well, Davide, how are you today and where are you today? Hey, Jonathan. Um, I'm here at the ATK headquarters and I'm doing great. I just had a baby with my wife three days ago on Friday last week. And it's just, just amazing, you know, matching everything together. Uh, a, a, a year of work, which is going to, the, which is coming to hand as the season and the snow is melting down day by day, relaxing a little more, having some holidays. And then the week after uh, welcoming my, my new baby, Julio at home, it's just amazing. So I'm a, it's a really good moment to record a podcast, I guess. <laughs> well, probably the question on everyone's mind is, how much sleep have you had in the past three days? Oh, uh, not that much. <laughs> we, we left home on uh, Thursday night at 1 p.m. or 1 a.m. actually. And um, I've slept maybe 10 hours in the last four days. It's crazy. I don't know if it is the excitement or just the baby. I don't know, but it's amazing. Okay. Well, this is going to be a good test for you then. We tend to get into the weeds here on Gear 30. And so we'll see if you're both capable of being a new parent and just nailing all those design nuances at the same time. You pull that off, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a gold star. Yeah, I, I think uh, I can still handle that. Okay. I'm really excited about, about being here with you and I uh, can't, can't wait to speak to our, our friends at Blister and, and uh, talk a little bit about ATK and the story of the brand, uh, which is not that long, but uh, you know, ATK was started in 2007 here in Fiorano, Modena. Uh, it's in, it, the company headquarters are based in the northern part of Italy, very close to Bologna. And it's a place which is not really common to find, where, where it's not really common to find a ski, uh, ski industry, uh, actually a binding industry, but we are really connected with the, with the place we were born due to the uh, surroundings and the uh, know-how and heritage about motorsport and mechanical uh, knowledge and know-how in, in, in terms of CNC production and everything. So we do produce most of our parts with CNC machines in-house and we will talk deeper about that, but um, 
That's why ATK was born in, here in Fiorano, 200 kilometers away from the Alps. Um, and yeah, the, the company was founded in 2007 and uh, no known of us was a ski tour, was actually uh, what uh, at that time it was ski touring or uh, not even really an out, outdoor enthusiast. It was just, uh, we were of course skiers. So we were taking the lifts and asking ourselves what was in behind of this crazy habit of those guys that were skinning up every day with a lot of sweat and uh, and a lot of energies lost while they simply could take the lifts and ski as as much as they wanted so it was really uh, something uh, that me and my father which started the company who started the company were not aware about so we didn't know anything about ski touring and backcountry skiers mm -hmm. And uh, it was a surprise when one guy came to the company and it was actually a period where the mechanical industry here in the region was not really uh, mm -hmm. at its best. So there was a little bit of crisis and, and slowdown of the business. And uh, this guy came to our door and said, hey, I know that you are very good uh, mechanical guys and engineers. Uh, why don't you uh, work a little bit on this product? Uh, this is a, he said, this is a ski touring binding made um, 10 years ago, and I'm using that for competitions, and I'm used to compete in schema races and competitions, but this binding is still heavy, and I have to do a lot of things in the transitions. It's not easy to handle, and uh, I know that with your CNC machines, you could do something, you can really do something better than this. Interesting. And, uh, and uh, yeah, everything started here with the with the sports prototypes. So let's back up a little bit about what you were doing, what you and your father were doing prior to starting ATK. So uh, I was pretty young when ATK was started in 2007, as I was born in 1990. So I'm 32 years old today. And uh, therefore, I, I was still studying at the uh, secondary school. And um, the background of my father and my mother, because they founded ATK together in 2007, uh, the background was a family-driven CNC company. So in 1998, my father opened and started this business. Uh, this business was quite uh, small and familiar and with a small turnover, a maximum of 15 employees at that time. And, uh, but it was the, let's say, the, um, uh, the house or um, let's say the father of ATK where, where we could put the seed of ATK inside and, and grow it. So this, this was the heritage and the background of my father. My father was really, uh, really connected with the, with the place where we live. Um, my grandfather was a mechanical, uh, one of, one of the first, um, let's say he had a, uh, aluminum casting company, which is, which was the company that uh, casted the first aluminum basement for the F1 engine of Ferrari in back in the seventies. And, um, yeah, this, this was, uh, this is the heritage that we have. So it's mechanical, uh, mechanical knowledge and, and background. So none of us are engineers. We have just, uh, learned mechanics and to find solution and problem solving, uh, in, in our day life, because it's, it's just the place where we live that teaches you to do that. None of you are engineers but you're building and operating CNC equipment? So it's none, none of us in between me and my father, but then we have plenty of engineers gotcha. in the company. Actually. Gotcha. All right. I was like, it would seem to follow that if you're able to build and run sophisticated CNC equipment, there's probably some engineering going on here. But okay, I'm sorting all of this out, I think. Uh, it's quite easy in the end to uh, compensate engineering background uh, when you have 40 years of mechanical expertise um, as my father has. So everything started for me. It's, it's pretty, pretty easy. But then, of course, the guys that will follow us uh, that will follow him when he will be retiring in a few years are all of them are engineers mechanical engineers 
it was your grandfather and then your father both were working sort of broadly in the mechanical space. That's fair? It, that's fair. Yeah, that's true. My grandfather was uh, um, driving a company. He, he actually uh, started a business in the uh, aluminum casting industry here in Modena. And he was the guy that created the first aluminum basement for our F1 Ferrari engine back in the 70s. And uh, yeah, that was a kind of revolution at that time. And uh, this is just to tell you that yeah, it's it's a family business. It's a family, <laughs> it's a family, it's affair. A family affair. So, is it say 2006 when there's a knock at the door and someone says, "I'm a competitive schemo racer. I'm still using a binding that's 10 years old. Surely we can do something better here. Make some improvements." Do, did I get the year right? Is that maybe 2005 or 2006? It was actually 2006 where uh, this guy knocked at our door and the company was then started in 2000, officially started in 2007. So it took a full year. It took a full year for us, for, for my father at that time, to develop the first uh, um, schemo racing binding, which was called uh, NX binding. And uh, this binding was delivered for the first uh, time to the testing athletes in the end of 2006 and won the World Cup, the first World Cup in 2008 and 2009. So just one year after the company was officially started. Having uh, entering the market with a competition product, so a product which uh, is in the in, in the race segment, of course, it's not easy uh, because they really ask or they really pretend the highest level of performance and reliability because they really really go to the limit. They really reach the limit when they compete in, in alpine schemo schemo races. But at the same time, when you have the right products. It's really, really fast. No one knows about it in two days because the community is so compact, it's so small, mm -hmm. and it's so fast. It's it's just booming. And we won the World Cup uh, with the Italian Army uh, team already in 2008 and 2009, just 12 months after uh, having started the business. And of course, this was a kind of, you know, a huge, huge, huge thing for us. I can't really think of any other example where, say, a ski company or a boot manufacturer rolls out their first product ever and then wins a World Cup. That's quite, uh, I, I think, um, at least uncommon. It's at uh, least uncommon, yeah. <laughs> at least uncommon. It's but for for us, it was just for ATK. It was just a mechanical problem to be solved. So we simply saw something that was not at its best or in the best shape, let's say, and we had the chance to uh, apply our knowledge and just create something new, which was not following. Uh, the path of others, but doing a new track on the snow. And that was an amazing start of, of everything. In the beginning, we didn't know anything about Schemo, as I told you before. Uh, today, ATK's turnover is 90% in touring and free touring bindings, not in racing anymore, as the competition market is so small, actually. Uh, but uh, at that time, um, we started as a, I don't know, how do you call it? It's, we started as a game just to do something different mm -hmm. from the daily routine, try to, to do something new for us, just to have a new hobby. Uh, but it turned out to be, uh, to be the right one. And, uh, everything changed, uh, of course, in 2000, around 2010, 2011, when I joined the company. We had the first ESPO, we attended to the first ESPO show in 2010, presenting our new RT binding, which was the, let's say, fully featured, uh, releasably uh, uh, with the uh, adjustability of the release systems binding, which was around 170 grams against, I don't know, maybe three times more of the closest things 
which were similar to that time. Yeah. And uh, this was the next big step for us. This has been the next big step for us. So it is interesting to me that there's a knock on the door. You don't know about ski touring at all. You are shown a product and by someone who's in a good position to say, you know, I, we can do better here. What can be done? And it seems like very quickly you spin up ATK. Now, is this because it's not like you quit doing the rest of the other things that the family was involved in? You didn't shut all that down. That was still happening. But you thought, well, let's have a little side hobby, side business called ATK. And that's cute. That's fun. Except things got a bit bigger than that. That's a lot of stories behind of that. So it's a, it's a long story. You know, uh, my father is, uh, I would like you to see him because it's, he is just, you know, a mechanical guy inside of the workshop. He doesn't want to get out of, of here. He just wants to stay in front of his machine, <laughs> uh, doing new parts every day. And he's just doing that. Even when our business is now around 25 million euro turnover per year. So he's still focused on machining parts with the CNC machine. And he actually uses its own machine because he has its own machine. He doesn't use any machine. Well, he has the his. very, very first machine from 1998. So that's that's very important. So when we started ATK, there was a plan that we uh, were only producing and developing bindings. So we were not interested. So he, uh, he was not interested in uh, selling bindings or distributing bindings. So we were uh, looking for a partner that was looking for or trying to distribute our products through their own uh, existing distribution. We were thinking about uh, camp company, uh, Scarpa company, yep. Skitrab company, or we had contacts with Dinafit also. And there's a very nice story in behind of that because we had an agreement, uh, which was withdrawn after with them, with Ooh. Saliva. And, um, this agreement was mentioning that, okay, um, we will produce bindings for the next three seasons. And uh, Saleva will will purchase all of them and sell and distribute distribute them through their own distribution channels. And uh, there was a minimum uh, amount of bindings they had to 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 purchase, and they were taking care about the distribution and the sales channels. But we were only focusing about this uh, producing and developing new bindings for three seasons, and then the brand and everything would have been owned by Saleva, let's say free of charge, uh -huh. because our thought was, yeah, but we are not people from the mountains. We right. don't know anything about ski touring. We don't know anything about backcountry skiing. So why should we continue or stress ourselves with this kind of things yep. that might not be good or we might lose money on that? So in the beginning, we made an agreement which was then withdrawn and uh, it was just the luckiest thing of my life that we, we have withdrawn this agreement with them because then we could really, I was still not in the business at that time. Um, I, I did have the time then to enter the company and start the business development as I'm actually, uh, actually doing today. That, that was really, really, a lucky choice that was very very important otherwise the atk brand was not exist would have not been existing anymore today right wow nearly no one knows about that huh? that's a new new thing this is all so interesting because from our perspective it was trying to think probably really around maybe 2013 2014 that's i'm making that up but that's a bit of a guess when we start hearing a little bit about this ATK brand and none of us knew anything about it. What is this and who are these folks and what are they doing? And, and you already just explained some things on the distribution side where I was always a bit confused about like what's happening here and now it all kind of makes sense. It's like we were about the machining. We weren't trying to like 
go start this company and run all elements, distribution, marketing, sales, etc. So this is all like really coming into focus for me. And you're answering some questions that I've actually had for a long time. So, um, and that's fascinating. I mean, really fortunate for you, maybe not so fortunate for, for some other folks. Might be, might be, you know, it's a matter of chances and it, it happens, you know, and, uh, it, it explains a lot of things because we, um, uh, it explains the, uh, the design features. It explains the, the beauty of our product and the, and, um, you know, the level of, uh, of finishing that we that we achieve with our CNC uh, machining inside of our workshop. This is what we are. We are a mechanical company applied to ski touring bindings. So this is uh, this is the real thinking behind of our brand. So we when we design a product, when we design a binding, we immediately think about how to produce it with a CNC machine. We don't design and then we produce it. We design thinking about how to produce it. And this is the key. Uh, our, we, we produce 95% of the value of the product inside of our factory, in, inside our plants. Our production is 100% in, made in Italy. And uh, the supply chain is so short that we can count uh, our suppliers on a hand. Maybe we buy screws, we buy springs, we buy a couple of plastic components for very small components like joints or things like that for our bindings. But all of these suppliers are within 50 kilometers radius about, uh, around our company. And, but, and the whole other parts which have an added value like CNC parts or even the use springs of the back bindings or uh, crampons, all of these parts are produced in-house by us. And 95% of the product value is created inside of our factory. Let's go back to that first tech binding that you all were shown and the knock on the door and you're seeing a product, I take it you've never seen in your life, but you're told this can be improved upon. Can you talk a bit about some of the various ways in which you're like, yes, this, we can improve this or that? Like, can you walk us through some of that, the, the, that first ATK binding or early iterations of ATK bindings? Uh, the first key point was weight. So these guys were actually skiing with boots, plastic boots from Scarpa, the, the half one boot, for example, they were drilling a lot of holes in the shell of the boot just to, to shave, I don't know, maybe 20 grams of plastic from their feet. And it's that was crazy, shaving 20 grams by allowing water and moisture to enter your feet. And yeah. you, you can get really injuries and it's really dangerous, but they were that mad at weight that they could even risk their own life for that. And when we have seen that this uh, old Dinafit binding was produced with, you know, plastic injection molding or uh, steel plate bending or iron casting. And so that these technologies were far away from what, uh, I don't know, the high-end motorsport technologies were used to show or uh, competition in biking, for example. Um, so we thought, but why don't we approach uh, this sport uh, by using our technology, which is common to every to, to a lot of really, uh, let's say, performance segments of the industry. Um, and uh, that was the kickoff. So the key point was lightness given by our materials to the material that was going to change. So uh, aluminum instead of steel, uh, I, uh, I, I grade synthetic uh, instead of, let's say, simple injection molding, uh, polyamide or things that were not really uh, um, focusing on performance and weight, but we were really looking for lightness. And the weight of our binding was, let's say, at least three times lighter than the one shown to us. Of course, we had some reliability issues that had, we had to work on in the beginning. Uh, there was a long story and a long journey 
to achieve the reliability that we have today with our 100 grams weight bindings. But um, this was still acceptable. And the field of racing is the field that you can really use and risk a little bit on because they, they accept a little bit of, uh, let's say, uncertainties or risks yep. um, in order to achieve their target, huh. which is to win the competition. And at that time, compete, uh, the, the limits were up, as I said, it was weight. But then it was also, uh, we saw, okay, what? why should you turn the, the heel piece if you want to skin up? That makes no sense. We should use a heel flap or something that goes over the U-spring and that you can really make it the transition in two seconds and skin up. That's, that's, that's all we need. Um, and um, yeah, we designed this new heel piece. We were the first ones uh, using a titanium U-spring in the back. Then we have a lot of developments in that. And today we have a U-spring ma made out of titanium, which has which is carrying the rolling in system. It's a really uh, high hand technology, uh, which prevents wear and tear of titanium, still offering the lightness of titanium. So we have steel bushings mounted over the U spring. But uh, the origin of that was that in the beginning, there was only steel U-spring. There were only steel U-springs, and the weight saving was about seven or eight grams on on a single yield. And when we released the titanium U-spring, that was it was like a, I don't know. You can imagine that, that they were drilling their boots just to go a little bit lighter. When you save seven grams with the same performance of spring, you know they they were driving crazy. And so all of these things match together. Like we introduced the um, uh, the automatic locking system from the front piece. We placed a patent in 2007 where the front lever of the binding, you know, you have to pull the front lever all the way uh, towards you if you want to lock for the hapil. That's the most of, of the tech bindings. Are. Most but bindings operate most, that way. You're pulling up yeah. the lever, yeah. When you want to walk up. If you want to ski down, you have to leave the lock, the front lever unlocked uh, in downhill mode. At that time, we said, okay, but competition, they ski only with the lock mode. So why should we need a downhill mode? And what we did was to create, to uh, place, uh, to, to have a patent, uh, which was, uh, of course, focused on the way that the binding was, when you step in on the binding, the, the lever was automatically locking in uphill mode. And that was uh, a complete revolution for that time because it took off one operation from the, from the transition. And it was a way faster compared to anything that was present before on the market. How much of a weight saver was it? So on the one hand, it saved a, a step, a transition step. It's, it's most, uh, mostly on removing a step because you have to consider that the design was completely different. So the materials were so different. The size of the parts was so different that you can't really relate uh, uh, the reduction of weight with the change of design. So it's, and particularly with the automatic locking mechanism, it's, it was not really affecting uh, the weight of the binding because, or at the same time, maybe on the opposite, it was increasing the weight of the binding hmm. by in that, all, in that way. all 0.1 grams yeah. <laughs> because we needed a spring, because we needed a spring to do that. Gotcha. This is exactly what I was hoping to get. It, have you identify, you know, where you saw the opportunities and, and then specifically, you know, how you implemented those opportunities into the ATK products. So keep telling the story. So when we, when we understood that there was uh, a, lit, uh, a little bit of a gap in between the needs of the market and the products that were offered by the uh, industry, we started working about new technologies for the touring market, not only focusing on schema competitions, but um, uh, mostly focusing on the uh, adjustable standard touring backcountry skiing bindings. As I've mentioned, we have released our first touring binding in 2010. That binding was the RT binding, 
uh, we call that the RT meaning was race touring and race was, uh, we, we tried to explain that the weight of the binding was, was the same of a competition binding, but the binding was offering technologies for release adjustments and uh, comfort and the brake system or the adjustability of the boot length. So it was a fully featured binding, the heel flaps in the back. Uh, so it was a fully featured binding at a weight of 170 grams, which was like on other another level uh, that was there was nothing around which was nearly uh, similar to this binding so we started working uh, on thinking okay they say that they don't want uh, automatic locking mechanism uh, for touring because they need to ski down and release the binding and have the binding released when when they they fall or they they get caught or so uh, we should develop a different system. Maybe we can offer uh, the appeal hardness variator, which was another pattern from us, which is still offered on most of our bindings, where you can adjust the pressure of the pins on the binding, of the binding on the boot when uh, the front lever is locked. So when you lock up your front lever to skin up, uh, you can adjust the pressure of the pins. Normally, um, you have just one system to operate the binding. Pull the lever all the way towards you until you, you have no more force to do that. Uh, in, in that case, uh, with the uphill hardness variator, you can preset the pressure of the pins. So you, you know, there are some users that really wanna um, feel a very strong uh, clock when they lock the front lever. There are some users that are, might, might be weaker that they or lightweight users that they really want to operate the binding with the in the smoothest way possible, and they want to adjust the system in, down to a very easy way to lock the binding. So uh, this was uh, let's say a, a technical feature that we offered to the market in 2010, just because we knew that hey these guys are sensible to the release of the binding. So we tried to figure out how to offer them something different from what was existing in the markets. And then um, within with this binding, we have also designed the CAM release system, which is the, let's say, the most important among our 60 and more international patents that we have placed in the last 10 years now. 10 60, years. six Over zero? The, yeah, 60. It's, we are the most uh, innovative tech bindings company in the world. We have placed over 60 patents, not in the last, in our history, so since 2007, not all of them are really important for us. You know, when you develop, when you make R&D, when you, when you design, you sometimes try to get one, one, one path, which is not really successful, but you realize it just after. But let's say a, a fair 20 to 30% of these patents are key for us and really brought a revolution to the market. So it's, it's all about innovation for us. It's innovation and precision, likeness. And we really focus on patents because we believe that we have to protect our, our knowledge, our heritage. And um, there are a lot of stories in behind of patents too. But maybe if you have time or if you would like to go through, we can discuss about them a little bit later on. <laughs> but yeah, focusing on the RT binding of 2010, Within this binding, we have uh, released also the CAM release system uh, by, uh, patent, uh, which is the most important patent we have, as is focusing on the handling of the pins of the back part. So I, I just want to introduce you a little bit of background of it. The Dynafit style, I'm not directly speaking about Dynafit, but the Dynafit style tech bindings um, are having uh, normally two long pins in the back of uh, in the heel piece. And these pins are normally opening like a chisor. So they open like that when you want to step in and step out of the binding. This means that 
there is a sort of lever when you where you it depends on where you apply the force. So the back insert of the boot is if, if the back insert is here or if it's here or if it's here, you have a you have a different lever on the pin. And this will change the release value, the vertical release value of the binding. And this is why some of the cost of the manufacturers have lately started to have a kiss gap in between binding and boot because they want to keep have or achieve a consistent vertical release value with this system. And with our cam release system, we wanted to solve that problem already in 2010. As with the cam release system, the two pins are working parallel one to the other. So we are the only brand which has the pins which are moving parallel one to the other. And you know, when the pins are moving parallel one to the other, it's it's not a torque anymore. It's it's not a lever here, but it's a momentum. So it's a force and it doesn't matter where you apply the force, ear, ear or ear, you always open the pins parallel. and. Um, so there's not this kind of effect where you really change the release value of the binding when the e back insert is sliding over the pins back and forth, because you know there was a four or five millimeters gap in between boots and bindings. So when you are skiing down the bending of the ski, the distance in between toe piece and the heel piece is reduced. And when what happens is that the boot back insert is getting closer or uh, goes away from the back part, from the heel piece. And of course, this distance is not stable. In our case, with the cam release system, we don't care about that. And there is a lot of consequences about coming out of this. But the most important one is consistency of the vertical release value during the whole downhill and second lightness lightness is the key for us and i mean our our uh, payoff is performing through lightness i don't know if you knew that At your tagline performing through lightness yeah it's it's performing through lightness we we know so we decided to say like that to use this sentence as we believe that the performance is already existing in every one of us a little bit faster or a little bit slower doesn't matter everyone has its own performance level but with our products, you can really activate your performance and simply be who you are or do what you can do. Our product will not limit you. And sometimes with other products, it happens. I want to stay on this cam release system. And by the way, I think we'll be able in the show notes to this episode to link to a video of this system. I want people to see this and, you know, this is a podcast. And so if someone is also uh, raising new children and is a little sleep deprived or they haven't had enough coffee today, what Davide is describing, right? When he has said that the release mechanism is not parallel between the pins, but that scissors action, again, for those of us who maybe have not had as much coffee as we should, just picture you're holding a pair of scissors and you open them up, right? As the ends, what does one call the actual cutting parts of scissors? I've never described that. You open the scissors up, that's not a parallel movement, right? I think we can all envision that. That's opposite from what you're describing as the action of the pins, which do open in a parallel way. You've said that this results in a more consistent release performance, but also you then said, and it's also big in terms of weight saving. I, I think it's pretty easy to understand where the consistent release performance, that part I think is a bit more intuitive. It's less intuitive how this leads to a weight saving. Can you say more about that? Yes, of course. Um, the the number of the parts that we need to ex or to create this release system uh, is very limited. We need much shorter pins. So our pins are short like that, and they are made out of steel because they have to last for over the years. I don't know, maybe 20 years, 30 years. So uh, it, they are very short, nearly uh, three times less than the uh, classical tech binding pins. So we shave a lot of grams from that pins, but uh, the number of parts is it's really limited inside of the binding. It's just uh, two shafts, 
two pins, one come in the middle. So the, the two pins, when, when the boot wants to get out from the pins in case of uh, forward falling, uh, when, the, when the back insert wants to get out from the two pins, it's trying to opening the two pins or to separate, to get the, the two pins to go apart one to the other, one from the other. And the two pins inside, inside the part of the pins inside of the back of the heel, uh, they are sliding over a cam profile, which is pressed over the two pins by a spring which is preloaded at a certain value, which is adjustable with a screw. So this is uh, the simplest adjustable system on the market and the size in terms of size. So, cause we don't need any big long springs or any big long uh, pins or any big and store uh, very big parts inside of the binding. So the size of the parts allows us to reduce the weight the total weight of the system, which is extremely, extremely light. So the smaller, the smallest the parts are, the lighter the weight is. It's pretty clear. And uh, the next step, which came a little bit la later, because it's in 2010, there was not a lot of talk about uh, or around, you know, forward pressure, elasticity, sliding back part. There was not. There was still no, uh, no, let's say knowledge or, or at least not focus on that, yeah. on these topics. But then it came, uh, a few years later. And this is where the biggest advantage in terms of weight, we, where we get the best, the biggest advantage in terms of weight, because we don't need to have the kiss gap to get a consistent vertical release on the binding. And we can still offer a fully uh, what we call elastic response system. So the, the system that uh, allows the heel part to slide back uh, in an elastic way and go back forward uh, towards the back part of the boot when you get into a compressor or when you, are, you just simply carve your skis. Um, we don't need to have a key gap in between the back part of the binding and the boot. Thanks to the cam release system, we still because because of the parallel movement of the pins that of course does not change the release value during the ski time. And uh, that means that we can still offer a binding which requires a four millimeter gap in between boot and binding. And these four millimeters are a free of charge spring because we get this spring from the ski. And therefore we can have the insert of the boot sliding over our pins not caring about the release value, which is not changing. And we don't need to create a huge elastic spring system under the binding just to achieve maybe 10 millimeters or 12 millimeters of elasticity because we can have four millimeters less of elasticity. And it's a huge, huge cost in terms of weight or gain in terms of weight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about around 15 grams maybe. 15 grams, huge. These these things are relative, I suppose. Uh, but when you're in your world of performance through lightness, yeah, we really care about those 15 grams. Um, uh, Jonathan, you should not think about 15 grams standalone, but you have to think about 15 grams here, 12 grams yep. there, 10 7 grams here. grams here. Yep, yep. It's everywhere. Weight is everywhere. And the less, the better. So we need to shave every single gram possible for every different system without, of course, um, compromising on reliability or on, uh, on functionality of the binding and comfort. And of course, we can split the segments of products in, into different ones. So we offer race, speed, touring, free touring and rental. And all of these five uh, segments require different specifics and and expect different performances from the bindings. So there are some categories where we can spend a few grams more in the sake of comfort, but there are some others where we can't really spend a single gram on comfort. I've got to imagine long time readers of Blister or listeners to Gear 30 have heard me beat this drum for years that has sort of railed against the what I think is sort of the ski industry's 
misplaced obsession with always going lighter and lighter and lighter with skis, with ski boots, with bindings. So I've got to imagine a number of people listening to this and hearing you talk about shaving 15 grams here and 12 there, et cetera, just being like, Jonathan must hate all of the sound of this, right? And yet what attracted me to ATK bindings, I did not care about the weight savings. I cared about the downhill performance and the very good uphill usability of the risers, the heel flaps. It's a new term. I've never heard the term heel flaps till till this conversation. I like that. So that is something that is maybe worth pointing out again to people who have been listening to Gear 30 for a long time. I am the opposite of the person that is obsessed with gram reduction. And if the way hearing you talk, it might sound like, oh, okay, well, if you are absolutely obsessed with, you know, getting to the lightest product possible and you don't really care about the actual performance, maybe this is your brand, except I'm the opposite of that, right? Like the weight savings was a kind of, that's a secondary thing. It's a byproduct. I've only skied, I think, two ATK bindings now, but I have preferred how those operate in the tech space better than a lot of the other options out there. So I, I, I just wanted to say that in case somebody listening to this was like, what's happening here? We, why isn't Jonathan like yelling at you uh, about stop this pursuit? And I think that's a bit of a testament to the products you guys are producing, even for somebody who doesn't care about all the weight savings and saving a gram here or there, the performance is quite good in our in what we have found and multiple testers uh, of Blister have found with, with ATK products. I, I think I can just follow you in this direction because you really got the point. Uh, we have never committed on performance. When we landed to the market in 2010, let's say 2010 with a touring binding, uh, we listened to the users and we asked them, hey guys, what's the problem? What's wrong with the actual products? What, what would you like to have better than the actual ones? And they answered, wait, which was the key point yeah. for them. And second, uh, downhill performance. And we started from these two points together. So we melted them. It's, it's a melting pot of performance in the downhill, of course, in the uphill, but um, the uphill performance is quite connected to weight mm-hmm. saving, yep. so to lightness. So these two points were the key points where we started from. So we have never committed on downhill. We have never, sorry, compromised on downhill performance. And we are working with the most advanced skiers worldwide to seek for the best downhill performance possible, still offering uh, a weight which is normally one or two class below our competitors ones. And that's very, very uh, unique about ATK bindings. And the path that we are following is that, uh, of course, the market is changing, the users are changing, the population of the uh, uh, of the uh, of uh, backcountry skiers is changing. Uh, in 2010, the population was quite smaller compared to the actual days, and they were really, um, let's say, um, uh, specialists yes. about uh, ski touring, high alpine skiing, or um, uh, fast ascending. And but now we have so many different kind of people reaching the mount, the top of the mountain, and all of them have different needs. And uh, that's why the product collection of ATK is that wide. It's more than 20 different model of, of models of binding and it's expanding year by year because our uh, aim is to match the needs of every different niche user possible. Even if we can't talk about any niche anymore because uh, backcountry skiing and schema, it's just, it's not a niche anymore. It's existing and it's, it's, you know, it's rolling. And, um, so it's pretty, pretty clear to us. Downhill performance is a key for touring and free touring segments of our collection. Okay. It is time now for our weekly, what we're celebrating segment. And I currently have 
a glass of water in my hand because I am about to go sneak in a quick bike ride because it is absolutely gorgeous here in Crested Butte right now. But then after my bike ride, I'm going into town to meet up for dinner and drinks with a couple of good old friends of mine, John and Carrie. And then I'm going to have an old-fashioned, made-with-whistle-pig, 10-year-old rye. Because I know this restaurant carries whistle-pig, 10-year-old rye. And uh, kind of in the mood for an old-fashioned. So that's what we're going to be drinking a little bit later tonight. And so later tonight and now, I would first like to raise a glass to my dad. Because it is his birthday today. Dad, happy birthday It was great catching up with you. We had a good long call this afternoon. Thanks for bringing me into the world. And so technically, I guess, thanks for making Gear 30 possible. Nice job, Dad. Uh, The next thing I want to celebrate, I am actually heading to Italy and France next week. I couldn't be more excited. I'm going for a couple weeks. We're going to be reporting on some very cool stuff And I promise that I will be bringing some reports on some very cool stuff to you folks at Blister. So I've never been to Italy or France, which is somehow crazy to me. I don't know how that hasn't happened before. So anyway, very happy to finally be doing that. And uh, again, stay tuned. We are going to be rolling out, I think, some very interesting reports on some of our podcasts about what I'm doing over there. Oh, and then finally, last thing, at the restaurant I'm going to tonight, I'm going to be meeting up and seeing my friends, Dana and Lauren, and Dana is actually going to be dropping off some mountain bike knee pads that I left back in Ridgeway forever ago, about a month ago. Anyway, these like light duty knee pads, they're kind of like my security blanket for mountain biking. Like, I don't know how much they're really going to do in the event of a bad crash, but you know, security blanket stuff. So I've been riding without them and just doesn't feel quite right. So um, I guess I'll raise a glass to being reunited with our like security blanket gear. And it'll be nice to see Dana and Lauren too. Anyway, much to be thankful for this week, and that then brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Davide for the very interesting conversation, and buckle up for part two when we really dive into the weeds on the current product lineup. I want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, and from all of us on the Blister team, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will be talking to you this coming Monday on our Blister podcast when Cody Townsend and I will be back reviewing the news. Enjoy the weekend. Talk to you soon.